Thanks, Chris. Well, good morning, everybody. We'll go ahead and dismiss our, uh, our children to Jilden's Church. If they'd like to head out now, they can do that. It's out the doors there in the lobby, and they can head up the ramp to their appropriate classes. Parents can certainly accompany them. If they know where they're going, they're okay, too. We'll invite them back in uh, to our service after the preaching time to worship with us and to uh, be able to partake also in the Lord's Supper uh, if they uh, understand what that means and parents have disciplined them in that. Good to see you, everybody. We're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 5 and Luke chapter 6 if you want to get ready to go to some of the Gospels there in just a minute. Um, before we do, I just I wanted to have a time of prayer together and just to, uh, again, quiet our hearts and, uh, and let the Lord be in charge of our time and, and to free us from distractions and keep us in this time, uh, in this moment where we can focus on Him. Amen? Let's go ahead and, uh, and pray together. Father, I, I thank you so much for your great love for us. God, we, we desire that, uh, that we live under that love. We live from your grace. And God, we, we know we need it. God, even as we're here today, uh, many of us come uh, for all kinds of different reasons. We find ourselves in, in this pew or in this chair today. Um, but God, you've, you've brought us here, and we know that. So Lord, today as we we look to your word as we continue to uh, have moments of worship and prayer and, and remembering and celebrating in the Lord's Supper, God, I pray it would be a time where we do quiet our hearts before you. That, God, we reflect on how much we need you, God, and how empty we are without you. And, God, if there are ways in us that are wrong or faulty or ways of thinking that are, are incorrect, God, I pray that you would help us to see that. You'd help us to repent of sin and wrong thinking to turn in faith to you, to trust you more deeply. God, our desire is that we would be people who live a life by faith. God, not by works. God, so there's no boasting in us. Our desire is to boast in the cross of Christ. God, quiet us again. Help us to uh, remember and think about the things you have done in our lives. God, we think about those uh, who are suffering, God, in our, in our church body, in our community. God, we pray for them that you would be near during that time. God, that you'd be healing them. God, that you'd be drawing them close to you, reminding them of your presence. God, we live in a, a tumultuous world with so many uncertainties, but God, we know that you are certain and our hope is in you. So God, help us to well up with com comfort and peace, God, because we know you. We commit this time to you now. We ask that you'd be with us. Again, that you would open our hearts and minds to be receptive that we would learn and grow in you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. All right, well, before we get started, I wanted to clarify something I said last week. Remember last week we had our, our missions team up here, and they were all uh, sharing all the things that they had done uh, during our missions week, during our Love Does week, and during um, uh, Belize, the Belize trip. A, a great opportunity to be together and to see uh, God's faithfulness and fruit in that. Uh, I gave a little sermonette, right, a short little sermon before that, uh, and one of the things I, I, I uh, someone talked to me this week about one of the things I said, and I wanted to clarify it, and I want you to understand, <clears throat> excuse me, and to know, by the way, I am always open for conversation. Uh, you ought not come in here thinking that I am the sole authority on everything, all right? I know you don't, you're laughing now, right? I'm not, and, and that what I say is, is always exactly correct. I, I pray that, I pray that before I get up here, I pray through my sermon, I pray that my words are God's words, and in fact, I pray that anything I would say that would be off or an error or maybe just not, it'd be confusing, that God would just kind of like, out of your mind, gone, it's gone, right? So we, we wouldn't even know that. 
and God will teach us. But I do want to clarify one thing because I had a great conversation about it this week. I had mentioned last week that, that uh, we love because Christ first loved us. And that is so true that we were to show love for one another. But that, in fact, I, I said this last week, that we, we are not even capable of loving without first knowing Christ and knowing his love. Now, that's kind of unpacked a little bit, isn't it? Uh, because here's what I would tell you, that because we as human beings are created in the image of God, that we are image bearers of God, whether you're an atheist or you're a believer, you have God's image written on you. I know an atheist, you're like, I don't like that. Well, too bad, that's true, right? But it's, it's written on you. So you do, whether you believe that your, your son or daughter or your husband, your husband or your wife are just a clump of cells that randomly uh, converge together, you have feelings for them. You, you love them and you want to protect them and, and, and bond with them. And so even the most ardent uh, atheist has the capacity to love because they are created in the image of God and can love. But we unpack that further. Their love in, in many ways is, is rooted in kind of just an instinct and a, and a give and take, like I just feel something for this person. Where, where a believer, when somebody comes to faith in Christ, they have found the greatest love that they could ever know in Jesus Christ. And that love was so great that Jesus spread out his arms on a cross and died for them in their place so that through faith in Christ that they would be forgiven of all their sin. All their sin is gone. Everything that we could ever put on a list that says this is why God shouldn't love me, while we were still sinners, Christ died for you. And that when Christ died, he was buried and he rose from the dead victoriously to conquer death so that you and I who put our faith and trust in the mercy and the love of Jesus Christ also receive life eternally because he has conquered death. Amen? And for those people who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, those people who know, not even adequately, but know the love of God, only then and through the power of the Holy Spirit could they love other people like God loves them. You see, we, we have a unique superpower when you come to Christ. It's called the Holy Spirit. And we have a unique perspective on the way people love and for you and I who have been loved greatly by Jesus Christ, we can then love greatly because of Jesus Christ. Amen? So I want to clarify that. I, in no way do I mean that people that don't know Christ can't show love. They, they do, all the time, every day. But to know, to know the love of God, to show the love of God means that you, you, you knew that and Christ first loved you. Okay? A little clarification. I love it when I can do that. So we are, we are um, kind of transitioning into, back into our sermon series, Written So That You Might Believe. And, and I'm really excited about this. This series will be ongoing. I think, uh, what is it? Uh, Alistair and I were laughing. This, this sermon is part 35. Part 35. We're, we made it a long ways. Um, how far did we make it? Well, we're just starting the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. Okay? So really, it's, uh, it is written that you might believe, but we are going to take a, a really in-depth focus now uh, and kind of a pause, not a pause from the whole series, it's chronological, we're going in order, but we're starting now with the Sermon on the Mount. We've come to that, that place, so we're going to be spending a lot of time there, and in fact, we're going to spend all of our time there uh, until we switch over to the uh, Summer in the Psalms right around the first part of July. Um, as, as a believer, as we look at this passage of Scripture, the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospels, uh, for the Christian, for the believer, it is simply the greatest sermon ever preached. Why? Because it comes straight from the lips of Jesus Christ himself, the chief pastor, the great shepherd. And so as we look at this, it, it's, it's, there's a warning I need to put out there for you. 
Um, and, and it's today's a, a, an introduction. In fact, next week, Pastor Alistair is going to bring the message, um, and he's going to start on the Beatitudes next week. I'm just doing verses 1 and 2 of Matthew 5, and, and we're going to kind of expand upon what's going on here, and what's the necessity, and what, what is the sermon, this message of the king doing for us. Um, and I'm really excited next week, because I've, I've held so dearly to the Beatitudes, and I've, I've always brought up Matthew 5 in my sermons, and talked you through it, and walked you through that, and I'm so excited to hear what God would teach us through Pastor Alistair next week uh, on the Beatitudes, and I'm, I'm, I welcome that. But there is a warning for you and I. We, we like, you know, I, I, had a, I had a poster of the Beatitudes in my bedroom as a kid. I had no idea what they meant, right? I was like, oh, I, yeah, the, of course, the Beatitudes. These are the, the, the attitudes that I should be, right? That's what my parents wanted. Be this way. And so I, I had them in my, in my room, and I put them up there, right? But there's a, there's a deep warning as we approach the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to I read a quote from um, R. Kent Hughes. He's a, a pastor, theologian, great writer. He says this, um, as, it, as he approaches and talks about the Sermon on the Mount, he says, because the theme of the Sermon on the Mount is the kingdom of heaven, it shows us exactly where we stand in relationship to the kingdom and to eternal life. That, that should be a warning or a joy for us, right? That should be, oh good, that'll, that'll, that'll reassure me. As we expose ourselves, we're here today to expose ourselves to God's word, but as we expose ourselves to the x-rays of Christ's words, we see whether we truly are believers. And if believers, the degree of the authenticity of our lives. It's going to get a little hairy here, isn't it? No other section of Scripture makes us face ourselves like the Sermon on the Mount. It is, though, the antidote to the pretense and sham that plagues Christianity. You ready? Excited? It's going to be so much fun. I, I, we've got to understand that, that, that there's, there's a reason here. When we come to the Sermon on the Mount, when we come to this passage of Scripture, it's not just like, oh, adultery or oh, divorce, oh, you know, don't hate somebody. It, 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 is, it is going to reveal the motive of your heart. It is going to rub against that in a, in a really unrelenting way. It is going, this is going to feel as we approach this, it's going to feel unrelenting. It's going to feel unnerving at times. It's going to almost feel violent at times against your soul and my heart. Right? But the violence within is a violence that's, that's against and hostile to a heart that is opposed to God and that embraces their own self-centered religion. Let me, let me say that again. The violence that will come against our, our, ourselves from the Word here, the violence is against a hostile heart right? that opposes God and embraces merely religion. And I think for many of us, especially in America, it's, it's really easy just to embrace religion. And we'll see a lot of that today as we go through the text and, and kind of set the stage for the Sermon on the Mount. So as we go, as you feel unnerved, as you feel it's unrelenting pressure, as you feel maybe it's violent against you at times, know that you're in good company. And know that Jesus, the, the great shepherd, is, is desiring that you would know him and that you would know him as the king in his kingdom that is there for you. And as he preaches and teaches, he, he exposes our hearts so we could get over ourselves and embrace him more fully. So a question I have is, how have we found ourselves at this point in the gospel? Right, we've been doing this for a long time. How have we found ourselves here? I think just one verse at a time, haven't we? We finally are here, though. 
We've seen that Jesus has slowly been, been and surely been revealing himself as the Messiah. Like at the beginning, it's like, oh, the Jesus Christmas story. And then he's kind of obscurity and a little bit of his, his uh, pre-adolescent years. And then he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. Then he comes back on the scene, but it's really, really kind of um, in isolation and really kind of behind the scenes. He's not full force out there, right? It's slow and sure revealing that he is. And this is what the re we're revealing, right? We're seeing Right, this is written so we would believe, right? We, we see this so that we would believe he's the Messiah and we'd have life in his name. So we, we see him um, help come with a message that God will deliver people from sin and death, that he's the Messiah to do that. He's, he's done so through his words as he's preached and he's done, through, done so through miracles. And now Jesus uh, has, has publicly, he's now at the point where he's been publicly teaching in the synagogues and, and people are coming to him by the droves. News has spread, and, and the, the word on the street is out that Jesus is a big deal, and now crowds and multitudes are flocking to him. They are gathering around him, and they're following him everywhere he goes. And usually when that gets going, what we see in Scripture is Jesus say something really, really hard. So hard, in fact, that people are like, whoa, hey, I'm out of here. So I get it. If you're not here next week, I, maybe you had that experience too. I hope you are. I hope you're along for the ride and, and are ready to search your own heart and let Jesus speak to it. Uh, let's go to Luke chapter 6 first. We'll start there. Luke chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 17 through 19. And then we're going to go to Matthew chapter 5 and look at uh, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount there, verses 1 and 2. So Luke chapter 6, verses 17, 18, and 19. It says... After coming down with them, he, he, this Jesus, stood on a level place with a large crowd of his disciples and a great number of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. They came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those tormented by unclean spirits were made well. The whole crowd was trying to touch him because power was coming out from him, and he was healing them all. Amazing, right? God, God in the flesh is among us, and he's healing them all. He's, he's talking about the kingdom of God, and, he, and, and he's drawing a crowd. And I, I want you to understand something, that, that we, you know, when we serve and love people, we do so with no strings attached, but we, we, we do so to build a relationship, right? So we might meet a physical need or, or an emotional need at some point, but ultimately our goal is, like Jesus, to meet a, a spiritual need. That there's not only a physical deficit or, or something ailing um, the person, there's also a spiritual one that's greater. And that's what Jesus has come to remedy. And then if we go to Matthew chapter 5, let's go to Matthew chapter 5. We'll see the similar scene, or just a scene, I guess, would be right after that. Matthew, first one. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. If, if we go up uh, to verse 25 of actually 4. It says, large crowds followed him from Galilee, the uh, Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. So again, large crowds are following him. And when he saw the crowds, verse 1 of 5, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and then he began to teach them, saying, and that, this is where we'll pick up next week, but let's just set the stage of what's going on Jesus is there, and he's getting ready to preach the greatest sermon ever. This is the Sermon of the King, and that's what the message title is today, the Sermon of the King. And, and what we're going to find today is an overview of, of this sermon and what the intent of this sermon really is from Christ. Uh, number one, we'll jump right into it. The Sermon of the King, number one, is a clear understanding 
of the blessing of the kingdom. Jesus desires to, to reveal a clear understanding of the blessing of the kingdom. And, and when someone comes to deliver a clear message, it, what's it presume? The crowd maybe isn't so clear on the message. How would Jesus know that? Well, he's been with them for many, many months, right? He's been with them his whole life so far. He understands there's a little bit of a disconnect going on. In fact, the message of the gospel seemed really and radically different from the current understanding that they had from the Old Testament. They, they didn't quite get it. They had, they had understood, okay, yeah, we, we live by faith, but man, you've given us all these laws and these rules. We're going to follow that, and when we follow that, that means we're your people, and everything's going to be hunky-dory. And as they had all these laws and, and rules, they thought, man, what would be greater than these laws and rules? Let's add more laws and rules, more tradition. And, and the more tradition, the better. The, the, the further separated from everything else will be, we'll be in the right place with the right, with the right religion. And so it kind of got a little bit muddy, and it was a bit unclear. So this sermon and all of Jesus' teachings uh, become a means of, of great clarification of what Moses, right, the Old Testament, what the prophets, what the Psalms, all really already revealed. In this clarification, Jesus, what he does is he starts to strike at the heart of the message, and this would certainly rub religious leaders the wrong way. They wouldn't like it at all. Why? Because they have... They have comforted themselves with religious works and deeds and extra tradition. They have said, we have set, set our own religion up. This is what we want. And, and it would feel like I warned a minute ago, Jesus' words would feel like a violent attack against religious elites, against religious righteousness in, in any form. And it, it did, didn't it, to the Pharisees? And, and the Pharisees felt it was so violent that what happened? They returned violence with violence and they murdered Jesus. They say, we can't have this. The Savior who says what we're doing is wrong. They held on to the old way of works and, and old tradition, and they built again. They built and added on more tradition. But if we look at the Old Testament, book of Malachi, um, I want you to turn there, if you would, please, the book of Malachi. It's right before Matthew. It's the, it's the last book of the Old Testament. The Old Testament ends with a, with a warning of a curse and it should be taken pretty seriously. And, and, and you kind of wonder, like, why didn't these guys take this seriously? If you go to Malachi and go to chapter 5. I'm sorry, not 5. Uh, Malachi, wrong one. 4. <laughs> There's no Malachi 5. Gotcha! No one needs to come talk to me. I already know. I've already cleared it up. It's good. Malachi chapter 4. Look, look at verse 6 together here. This is the last, last words of the Old Testament. And we'll start in four, four through six. Remember the instruction of Moses, my servant. The statues and ordinances I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. It, it, so stop there. What, what does it say to do? Remember. Remember. Like remember what I've, what I've asked you to be. Remember the kind of people I want you to be set apart for me. And, and remember that we are to live by faith. Not, not just by action and works. Not, it's not external, it's internal. And if you, if you were to go on your own and look at Hebrews chapter 11, it's the hall of faith. And what it describes is a group of people that are all from the Old Testament, who, who everyone at this point of time should have known and understood, but they were, it says every one of them. It was every, every one of them had righteousness credited to them because of their faith. Not works. It showed the, the action of their faith in their works, 
But every one of them, it was credited to them as righteous because of their faith. And so when Jesus, and the reminder from the Old Testament says, hey, remember, just, I want, this is what I want you to do. Parting words, going to be 500 years of silence before anything's promised comes. Parting words are this, remember. Remember what I've done. Remember the instructions from Moses. Remember what he said about it. Remember. And then he says, he promises something in verse 5. God says, look, I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. Oh good, this sounds fun, Jesus. Great and terrible days on the way. What we find out is that, that the promise of this verse is actually fulfilled, and Jesus himself tells us this, in John the baptizer. That John the baptizer was this Elijah that was talked about in Malachi chapter 4. And what did, what did he come doing? Preparing the way of the Lord. The Lord who? The Lord Jesus Christ. And, and what was the goal? Look at verse 6 now. Let's look at verse 6. What was the goal of this? As he leaves, he says, remember, and I'm sending, and here's the goal. And he will turn the hearts, the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. What what does Jesus care about? Say, my heart. What does Jesus care about? My heart. He cares about your heart. He cares about the obedience from the heart. He cares about what this is doing and what's coming out of that. And as he's preaching this Sermon on the Mount or getting ready to, what he sees in the crowd are people who have left and not remembered that it's about the heart. And, and what has come because of it? What, what is promised at the end of verse 6? If you don't do this, if your hearts don't change, if you don't live a life by faith and then obey out of that faith, what comes? I will, otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. A curse is going to come. So as Jesus gets ready now to, to present the message, right? The sermon of sermons, the, the kings of the great monarch's best manifesto. As he comes to get ready to preach this, he, he is coming as the blessing. And that's why we look at number one is he's going to give a clear understanding of the blessing of the kingdom. Uh, he, he wants him to go back. And remember, Malachi said there could be blessing or there could be curse. And, and, and as he looks out in the sea, he says, or in the sea of people, he sees a lot of people who are heading to curse. He's going to strike at the, the heart of this now. What, what is the problem? Well, the problem is that they, they submitted to, them, to their own uh, authorities and they said, I'm, we're going to, our own laws, our own traditions, we're going to follow the instructions. And the promise is that those works bring a curse. But the blessing is that faith from the heart is the blessing, right? Blessing is found through faith. The Old Testament, the law, what it did, all these, these rules, what it did is it demonstrated man's need for salvation. A list of hundreds of rules told you how bad you were and unable to follow them every day. That's, that's what it was for. You, you can't live up to this. Yes, my people ought to look this way, but you can't do it on your own. That's why faith is the solution, right? So the New Testament now offers that solution and, and, and really just kind of reconfirms that solu- solution from the original one. And that solution is found in the Savior, Jesus Christ. So the Sermon on the Mount is clarifying the reason for the curse. You're only trusting in yourself, your own works, your own ability, your own goodness. It, it clarifies that. And it shows that man has no ability for, for any righteousness or goodness on his own. But the, the new message is one that says, we're offering blessing Right? The Father offers through the Son blessing through faith in Jesus Christ. That's, that's the promise. This is what Jesus wants. As, as he goes through the Sermon on the Mount, that's what he wants to clarify. So if you or I are like, 
holding on to our works and how good we are, we're going to feel a little bit unnerved by what Jesus has to say. A couple of passages I want to use to support this theme in Scripture. Galatians chapter 2, Paul says this, we, we are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. He's, he's saying, listen, I know Jews have a heritage and they're the people of God and we're not Gentile sinners, but, but because we know a person is not justified by the works of the law, like Paul says, it's not about how good you are, but it's about being justified by faith in Jesus Christ. And, and, and he says, we, we ourselves have believed in Christ. And, and this was so that we might be justified by faith in Jesus Christ. What Paul says is, listen, it's all about faith in Jesus. The blessing comes through faith. That could be your new number one, right? The blessing of the kingdom comes through faith. That, that's what it is. And it's not by works of the law because by works of the law, no human being will be justified, Paul says. None of us, by keeping the law, can make it work for us and be right before God. None of us. It's a curse. So what, is, what did Jesus do? Well, in Galatians 3, the next chapter over, Paul says this, for all who rely, anybody who wants to rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Sounds like Malachi to me, right? Paul's just reaffirming that. Because it is written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. What's it say? If you can't do it all, you can do it. None of it, right? You're, you, we're all bad. He goes on. Now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law. Paul says it's clear. Jesus comes to make things clear through the, through the Sermon on the Mount. It's clear that there's a blessing, and the blessing is faith in Christ. It's not through the law, because the righteous, the righteous will live by faith. But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. It's like you're bound to them. Here's the point, Galatians 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed or bought us from the curse of the law. So we, we were cursed because of the law, and we were all transgressors. There's no one good, not even one. I'm not good, you're not good. We have all sinned and separated ourselves from God that none of us can live up to the standard that God has. That's what he's addressing. But instead, we are redeemed from that curse of the law because Christ, uh, we are re Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. Because it is written, cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree. Jesus, see, Jesus comes to make this clear that we're all cursed, and he's the one who can break the curse. He's the one who can be the blessing for us. He's, he's the one who, who will give himself so that through faith in him, we will be blessed. That's, that's the goal. He took the curse in order to be our blessing. And, and it was interesting, even when we say that, and, and at the time, um, that they're hoping in a Messiah, they didn't get it. Here's what happened. I'm going to read a passage out of John 6. It says this, When people saw the signs he had done, they said, this truly is the prophet who's come into the world. Now, we talked about this just before Easter that they're referring back to. They, they see Jesus and they say, he's the, the prophet like Moses, the one they talked about. And they're excited because the Messiah is here now, right? Yay, Jesus is here. The Messiah is here. And what, what are they thinking? Verse 15, here's what they're thinking. They didn't get it. They didn't get that he was there to be a blessing for them who were cursed and to take the curse for them. Therefore, when Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. They saw the blessing. They saw Jesus is the Messiah. He's here. We testify that he is who he said he was. We love him. And then what do they want to do? Come be king and free us from our, relig our, our religious and, and, and worldly oppressors. Jesus is like, just Jesus facepalm. What are you doing? I, you don't get it. 
I'm here as the Messiah to become the curse for you by dying the sinner's death on the cross. He was the right king to them, but they thought he was just the wrong kind of blessing. Isn't that horrible to say that about Jesus? Like, you're the right king. Yeah, you're right. But they wanted him to be king on earth. Like, nope, that's not what I'm here. That's not the blessing of God. And he, and he, he says this in John 18 later on. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of it. He's, again, Jesus, as he approaches the Sermon on the Mount, is clarifying the kingdom. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Is, is that clear? I mean, they want him to be king. He's like, no, that, now is not my time for here. Now is my time to be here to die so that you who are cursed and I who was cursed could be free from that curse because of Christ becoming the curse for me. His sermon will give us a clear understanding of the blessing of his kingdom. And that blessing is that you and I can have faith in Jesus Christ. And that leads us to number two. It's him, right? He's the blessing. Number two is this. Uh, the sermon of the king was a clear, it showed a clear need for the kingdom's Messiah. It showed a clear need that he was the answer. He, he needed to be the Messiah for their hearts. I want to go through a few different groups of people, and I, I, I hope that you and I can identify with maybe one of these groups. These are, as he look, again, looks out at the crowd of people, as the teachers and different religious sects that are there, and they're watching, and they're scrutinizing, and they're taking notes, and they're, they're shaking their head, and they're rolling their eyes. There's a reason for that. I want, I want to give you four different groups of people. Let's start with the Pharisees. Pharisees. And, and we talk about this. Um, what we see in all of these groups of people is they were trying their best to be the right religion. Does that sound familiar? That's all around us everywhere we go. Oh, I have the right religion. I have the right religion. No, that's the right. Okay, no. So let's see what Jesus does about that. The Pharisees, though, they, they, were, they were focused. They thought uh, right religion was to be focused on adhering to the laws and tradition of the past. Like, hey, we, we have right religion if we do everything that we have always done forever and it's all about tradition. You could call them, they were the traditionalists. The Pharisees were the traditionalists, stuck on the tradition and the past. The Sadducees, they thought right religion meant focusing on the present, right now, what's going on right now, and, and that they would modify their traditions to fit the philosophy of the day. The Sadducees. Everything was always changing for them because the world was always changing and they were trying to keep up with that. Does that sound familiar to today? We tell, oh, let's change our philosophy. Let's change our will. Think of Christianity. And I would put in quotes like Christianity. It's not really Christianity, but people who once maybe were solid Christian, Christians, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving people, have said, you know, the times have changed. The, the God of the Bible in those days, it's not really the same today. It's not for me today. It's outdated. Then why are we here reading it? no wonder they're always sad you see everything's always changing there's nothing ever familiar you think of religious cults in our world their writings change over time because well that was not that wasn't acceptable it, it, it or at least it isn't now it was then but it's not now so we got to change our way of thinking change our way of teaching we just change it that's the sadducees they're they're more of modernists oh, we're, we're here we're hip with the times the next group was the Essenes, and they said that right religion meant separation from society. 
Like if you want to be right with, with, with God, if you want to have the right religion, you have to, you have to get out and be removed and be remote. Like, like we're going to live in a hut on the side of the mountain and, and that's where we're going to stay just unless we have to go get groceries. Right? They, so you have the traditionalists and the Pharisees, you have the modernists and the Sadducees, and the Essenes, you have the separatists, saying that right religion is just being separate altogether. Now, I, we'll talk, talk about it, but that's, that's somewhat right. right? Some of the traditions are somewhat right. Even the Sadducees, there's some philosophy that they could work with there that might be right. But then the Zealots were the fourth group, the Zealots. And they said this, that right religion focused on, on radical political activism. It was more military might. Like, if you want people to be right religion, we're going to force it on them. We're going, to legi- we're going to legislate morality. We're going to legislate what we want. What were they? They were the activists. So you had the traditionalists and the Sadducees. You had the modernists and the, and, I'm sorry, the Pharisees. And the modernists and the Sadducees. The separatists were the Essenes. And then the activists were the Zealots. Now, now don't get me wrong. I, I think there are great things in each approach. There are things that, that may have been based on good thoughts and things, even from Scripture. Right? It's, it's good to go vote and be a citizen of whatever country you have. If you have rights to do that, to do that. And, and to, but to let your politics be, be informed by the Scripture. Right? But we know that in a country that is turned against God, it's not going to go well for us. So ultimately we come down to saying, what does Jesus want me to do in my relationship, in my family, and in my body, in my community? Right? So there's, there's parts of that where, yeah, we should be political. But should we be a military might of, of political activism? I don't think so. That's what they did. And again, they all thought these were the ways to behave in a right religion. And so my question is for you and I, because like, there are things that are okay in each one, but there's, each approach is missing something, right? True religion is, is uh, in God's kingdom, it looks different. True religion in God's kingdom is not a matter of ritual. It's not a matter of philosophy. or, or uh, It's not a matter of location. And it's not a matter uh, of any might on your own. That's what Jesus is going to come against. And they are going to get hot about that. They're not going to like that. They want to embrace that. And so for you and I, what, where do we fit? Are you stuck in the past? Are you stuck in tradition? Are you stuck on, this is what we've always done. You know what? Great. You've always done it for the last 60 years. Your grandma would have said something totally different. Because she would have done it for the 90 years before that differently than you did. Things change. Are you stuck on something that says, this is what religion is. And I, I can't tolerate to put up with people that are changing little things. Or the song is not the same as it used to be. We get to be traditionalists, right? And we put our religion in a little box and say, this is right religion. You know what Jesus says? You're going to have a bad day when I preach the Sermon on the Mount. Because you've heard that it said X, Y, or Z, but I tell you, this is what it means. We need to get ready. Let go, let go of these things we're worshiping that aren't really what right religion comes from. Are you a Sadducee? Do you, have you changed your philosophies? Have you, have you modified your Christianity? You said, you know, I like it, and Jesus is great, and yeah, he died for my sins, but I think he would understand, because the whole world's doing this, that I do this. So we're going to embrace that too. Do you think that makes Jesus happy? Maybe that's why they're called Sadducees. It makes Jesus sad, you see. When we sin and we modify what he has said and say, no, no, Jesus, yeah, thanks for doing the dying part and you're a savior, but I've got to switch things around a bit here. I've got to let this come on in my home. I've got to, I'm going to think this way. God, you would understand. You, you get it. No, Jesus is like, that's, not, that's the curse. You're, you're trying to develop your own right religion. 
even if you're modifying it 10 times. Jesus says, no, that's, that's not where the blessing is. That's not, that's not what you need. Maybe you're one of the Essenes. You're like, I am going to stay in my hut off-grid for as long as I can. I'll come to town for supplies. In fact, I can order them from Amazon now and Costco, so I don't even need to leave my house, and I'll go to church once in a while. Because I'm hoping you're here because I'm talking to you now, right? You're a separatist. Like, I'm just going to be out of the world completely. You know what Jesus would say? Follow me. Where did Jesus go? Into the world. Why? Because they need him. And being a total separatist doesn't give us any opportunity to share our faith with the world. We're called to be in the world, but we're called to not be of the world. So maybe you're too, too much a separatist. Or maybe you're a zealot. Maybe every sermon you're writing notes about what I'm going to send to your congressman next. What you're going to write on your next picket outside of Supreme Court or whatever, whatever you're going to do. Maybe you're like, you have the Bible today with you, but right in the front of the Bible is your U.S. Constitution. I don't know. Political activism? We need to take a stand. We need to make our voices heard. But what we want to make heard is the Word of God. We stand on the Word of God and what God says is right. We don't come, become the, the uh, Sadducees and say, well, we're going to modify this part of the Word of God because we want these rights for these people. No, we're going to say, what does God say? This is what's right. And we'll stand on that. But this is what we should have in our front pocket, back pocket, in our glove box, not the U.S. Constitution. I, I love this country. I, I am an ardent patriot, and I grieve over the, the state of this country right now. I grieve. But Jesus grieves more. And he, it doesn't just grieve because, man, they're making legislation to ruin our, our rights. It's not why Jesus is weeping. He's weeping because people have abandoned God. He's weeping because people have rejected him and, and chose their own way and has become a wicked and adulterous generation, a corrupt group of people. And we live among them. We're to live among them shining like stars. Not picketing next to them and getting angry and having military might. That's different. Do we have an opinion? Sure. Do I have those conversations? Absolutely I do. But that's not what I base my religion on. Jesus says, no, it's not. This is, you, you've, all, you've all messed up. You've missed the mark here in some way. There's something more to think about. Again, true religion in God's kingdom is not a question of ritual, of philosophy, of location, or of military might or political activism, but it's of the right attitude towards self and towards God and others. That's what God's kingdom is about. And so as he comes to us, he says, what do you think about yourself? And if we say, well, I do a really good job of, of picketing and activism. Well, I really do a really good job of, of following all these rules. Or I do a really good job of kind of going with the flow and kind of changing things up as they go to fit the need. Or I do a really good job of staying away from everything, Jesus. They'd be like, you, you better take a real good look inside. Because your heart is not where it needs to be. Not focused on me. I'm the blessing. Jesus says it in Matthew 5, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, we'll get to this in a, a couple weeks. He says, I tell you, unless... Your righteousness, like, and, and this is what we're doing. Right religion means this is how I'm made righteous. So when we, when we construct our own religion, or all these groups construct their own religion, they thought, if I followed this, this is how I'd be made righteous. Jesus says, unless your righteousness, unless your right religion, unless what you think is right surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Wow. 
you have these groups of they're stars. They're like, look at these religious sects. One of these must be right. So they all join one of them and, and hope for the best. And Jesus says, they're all wrong. Unless your righteousness is better than theirs, you, you cannot be a part of me. You, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So what, what's the solution? Well, he's, again, preaching to make clear there's a need for the kingdom's Messiah. You and I have a, king, a need for that. Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul understood this probably as good as anybody. I want to read out of Philippians chapter 3. Um, he says this, although I have, Paul, he says, although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh. He's like, I, I, I have done it all. I, I have been, I've been a really good boy. I have kept every law. I look amazing. Everything is polished perfectly. I have, but I have, and I have confidence. He says, if anyone thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. If anyone thinks you're, you're better uh, Pharisee than me, I, I, I'm better. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew born of Hebrews. I, regarding the law, I was a Pharisee. Regarding zeal, persecuted the church. Regarding the righteousness that, uh, that's in the law, I was blameless. I was blameless, Paul says. Imagine that. Of all the people in these religious sects that are in the crowd that Jesus is going to preach to, Paul was the perfect one of them all. And what did Paul experience? What did he know? He says, but everything that I considered gain to me, everything I counted gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. He says, oh, it was all worthless. It, it, it didn't achieve righteousness for me at all. He says, more than that, I consider everything to be a loss in, in view of the surpassing value. There's a greater value at stake than what you put and make your right religion to be. And that is of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He's like, I want to know Jesus. I don't want to just follow religion. I don't want to follow the rules. I don't want to be, have my life and my faith in a box and, and pretend that's right religion. I want to be right with Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He said, because of him, I've suffered the loss of all things. That sounds bad, but he says, then I can, and I consider them dung. They're, they're just poop. They don't matter anymore. That's what I consider all, everything I valued because Jesus is of greater value. And why does he consider them lost? So I might gain Christ. I might gain Christ and be found in Him. Not my right religious box, but found in Him. Not having a righteousness, a perfection, a, a rightness between you and God on my own that's from the law, but one that is through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? The righteousness from God is based on faith. What do we need? We need righteousness. And when Jesus comes, He says, listen, I'm going to clarify what the kingdom's all about. And what is the kingdom all about? It's about you and needing me, the Messiah. I'm the kingdom's Messiah, and you need me to be righteous. I, again, I'm the blessing. And through faith, you can have that as well. I want to read a section of Scripture out of Romans chapter 9 and into chapter 10. Paul's making an argument here. He says, what, what should we say then? Gentiles, he's talking about faith and talking about how we become righteous. Is the answer more religion? No. He says, Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness did not follow the rules. Like They were the ones that were outcasts. Like, oh, they're sinners. They didn't follow the rules. They've, they've obtained righteousness, he says. Namely, the righteousness that comes from faith. But Israel, God's people, pursuing the law of righteousness have not achieved righteousness by the law. What's it saying? We all need righteousness. A lot of people put a religious little box and say, this is how I'll get it, and if I follow it, I'll, I'll do it. And Paul says, no, that's not how you get it. Righteousness really comes through faith in Jesus Christ. So why didn't Israel have it? He says, that was the question kind of begged here. Because they did not pursue it by faith, Paul says. As if it were by works instead. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. 
Who's the stumbling stone in Scripture? Jesus. They're stumbling all over the fact that God is sending the Messiah and you can have life in Him and, and through faith in Him. He goes in and on in verse, uh, verse 10. Or t- I'm sorry, chapter 10, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them is for their salvation. Right? He, concerning those who would just try to work it out on their own, I, I want them to be saved. He says, I can testify about them. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, since they are ignorant of the righteousness of God, and they've attempted uh, to establish their own righteousness. They have not submitted to God's righteousness. Last key point of this passage, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. Christ is the end. He's the end all. He's our everything. In, in Jesus' kingdom, He's the Messiah we all need. He's like, faith in me, you'll be righteous. You'll never be righteous in your little pharisaical box or your Essene box or your zealot box or your Sadducee box. It'll never work. But through faith in me, you can be made righteous. Christ is the clear need that we have. And only in Him can we be made righteous. I want to read one more passage of Scripture in this section. uh, Luke 18. Turn there with me if you would. Luke 18. Jesus tells a parable starting in verse 9. It's really important for us as we go here to understand where we go next. In, in a few minutes, we're going to participate and partake the Lord's Supper. Right? We're coming here to remember, not to earn. This is not a, a, a religion, a right religion in a box on the table. If that's what you came in thinking, please stay seated while we partake, because this will do nothing for you. Coming and partaking in the Lord's Supper means Jesus has done everything for me. He's the Messiah. He, and through faith in Christ, He's made me right with God. And there's no other way I can be made right with God. I'm not proud of the works I've done. I'm not proud of the way I've tried to achieve it in the past. I am proud of Jesus. I am proud in Jesus because now, now I am in Christ. And now I can be forgiven. And that's, that's as we come to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We celebrate His blood poured out for us, His body given for us and bruised and beaten for us. For you, for your sin. For your inability to keep the right religion. He did that. So this parable, he says, he says, uh, he told this to uh, some who trusted in themselves and they were righteous and looked down on everybody else. They were self-righteous. Okay? Verse, verse 10, he says, two men went to the temple to pray. Two men. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Stop the story there. It's done. We, they all know <laughs> the tax collectors, they are out of here they're going this is going to be a story about how they get cast in the lake of fire it's, it's gonna be one of the stories that you think about at church when that person that hasn't been to church in a while or ever and they come in they're like carrying their sin around and what do they say if i walk in that building i'm gonna be struck dead lightning's gonna strike you don't want me to come to church that's what they're thinking they're hearing this like oh the pharisee's a good dude tax collector's going to church back up it's gonna burn down that's what they think jesus has other plans here doesn't he went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, one a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and, and praying like, like this about himself. God, I, I thank you. I thank you, God, that I'm, I'm not like other people. Greedy and unrighteous, adulterous, or even like this tax collector over here. I'm, I'm thankful. I, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. Well, that's a that's a good prayer, isn't it? Who's going to be struck by? Oh, sorry, <clears throat> but the tax collector. But the tax collector. 
right? Standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other. Because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You see what Jesus is trying to make clear here? That in his kingdom, there is a clear need for him to be our kingdom's Messiah. That he's the one that's done it all. That as we, as we see him lifted up on that tree, that taking the curse for us, the blessing is given to us through faith in Jesus Christ. Not in ourselves, not in our, our ways of our own world religion or our own, our own right religion. It's not any of that. It's in Jesus. In fact, the, the worse you are as you walk through those doors, the more mercy you can receive as you humble yourself, as you put yourself before God and say, God, I am messed up. No amount of right religion is going to change that. Only you can change me. Only you can change me. And that leads us to our final point, number three. The Sermon of the King clears this up. It's a clear message that we must respond from the heart. It's all about the heart. We talked about that earlier. It's all about the heart. When we go back to see Malachi and, and the last words of the Old Testament saying, listen, uh, remember God, remember God, remember to have faith in God and put your trust in Him or else there's a curse that's going to come. We're, we're encouraged that, that the blessing comes from a changed heart. The, the prophet came to change hearts, not to get you in line religiously. Change hearts. What's this tension about? Right? We have a tension in our heart then. We have this tension that comes up and says, well, I, I've been doing a lot of stuff and, that, and that's the tension. It, that this is what it is. It comes from this, this idea that you and I think we're enough on our own. Well, I thought I was doing enough. No, you weren't. But the answer isn't do more. The answer is stop fighting against God. Stop trying to earn your own righteousness and let Him be the righteousness for you and come from the heart. 1 Samuel 16, I'm going to read a couple, couple verses here that have to do with the heart. Samuel was going to anoint the new king, right, after Saul. And he goes to Jesse's house, and his, uh, Jesse has some strapping sons and older, good, ready to go. But none of them really fit the bill. Like, well, wait, where, do you have another son? And they bring David over, right? And, and the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his outer appearance or the, his stature because I have, re, uh, I'm sorry, this is about his brothers, because I have rejected him. Humans don't see what the Lord sees. You think, might think the might comes from the strength of Jesse's older boys. That's not it. David's who I've chose, right? Why? Humans see what's visible, but the Lord sees what? The heart. The Lord sees the heart. He knows the heart. That's well, kind of damning for us if we don't take care of our heart and don't entrust our heart to Him. If all we're doing is outward stuff, it, the Lord's like, I don't really care. Proverbs says this, guard your heart above all else. Guard your heart above all else. Why? For it is the source of life. You want to know life? It comes from here. The heart. Jesus can take care of that. Isaiah 29, the Lord rebukes and says, these people, these people, they, and, and I think the Lord as he stands on the, on the mountainside getting ready to do the Sermon on the Mount is seeing the same thing. He says, the Lord, the Lord says this, that these people, they approach me with their speeches and they honor me with lip service, yet their hearts are far from me. And, and, and human rules are what direct their worship of me. 
God could care less how well you sang today or how well you dressed today if it wasn't from the heart. It's all about the heart. He, he rebuked the Pharisees in Luke 11. He says, you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and evil. Remember that Pharisee stood up and said, I'm not greedy, I'm not evil. The Lord just said what? Yeah, you are. You are. He says, fools, didn't he who made the outside make the inside too? Do you, do you think, this is what he's saying, do you think that you can go stand before God one day, look in the part, look how good I am, Jesus, and that he won't see your heart? You are fooling yourself, and I would be fooling myself if I believed that as well. That's not it at all. Jesus' message is this sermon of the king, the clear message is to respond to him from the heart. In, the, in the, one of the last sections of the Sermon on the Mountain, go to Matthew 7 with me. We'll, we'll get to this eventually one day as down the road, but I, I want to look at this today. This is, this is the call from Jesus, Pastor Jesus, calling on us. And what does he say to do? As he preaches, what does he say to do? Matthew 7, starting in verse 24. Says, therefore, therefore, all of the Sermon on the Mount behind me here, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, and the rivers rose, and the wind blew and pounded that house, yet it did not collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, and the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. What is Jesus asking us to do? is to hear him say that he's the Messiah. To hear him say that your right religion is worth nothing to him. To hear him say you need to act in, in faith from the heart. And it has to be from the heart. And when you do, you will be building your life on the sure foundation, on the rock that actually is Jesus Christ. And it's the rock that you didn't stumble over. It's the rock you came to and said, I'm going to build everything on him. And how does this tie into our, our series, our ultimate series? As we look at all of the harmony of the Gospels, all of the Gospel message, as we look at, at the message of the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus comes as King Jesus with his sermon to us, we need to understand and know that, that God has written this down for you and I. He has written this down so that you may believe. And what do you believe? You believe that Jesus, that he's the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, that you would have life in his name. That's what this is about. It's about you and I having life. Jesus doesn't come saying, you know, you have a really bad system of right, right religion. You got to do something about that. He says, you have a really bad system of right religion. Let me help you with that. Let me be the fix that you need and, and come to me and man, let's enjoy, you want life? I'll show you life. I will show you what life really is. I'm going to invite our worship team back up right now and, and I want us to, to think about um, our next few minutes as we, as we head into the Lord's Supper. If you guys want to grab some, some elements as you go, that'd be great. We're about to partake in the Lord's Supper today. And we do that at the last Sunday of every month. And, and today as we do that, it's, it's very, very important for us to reflect on who Christ is and, and, and that, that we have actually put our hope and our faith in Him. That our hope and faith rest in Jesus, not in our own righteousness, not in our own traditions, not in our own right religion, not in our own little box that we put ourselves in, that we have focused on Christ. In Christ alone. 
So, so just understand today, if, if you are here today and, and you, that's you, you're like, yeah, my hope is in Jesus. He's my everything. I'm putting my faith in him. I'm trusting him. I have trusted him. And as I come, I'm going to remember that he poured himself out for me. I'm going to remember what he has done for me. And then you come and we partake and it's going to be special and meaningful. But if you're here today, you're still like, I'm still a zealot. I'm still, I'm still figuring out my own religion. I, that's nice stuff you talked about, Brandon, but I, I'll work it out. Then work it out in the pew as you, part, as you watch everyone participate. Because this will mean nothing to you. This, the, the juice and the bread is just juice and bread. But for us, it's, it's what has given us life. It's Jesus' body and his blood shed for us. And we, we come down to, to say how worthless we were and how worthwhile Jesus is. And so it's fine if you're watching and observing. It, it's good. You can watch what others are doing and how Christians respond in faith to Jesus and not through religion. Uh, our kids, our children are going to join us here in a few minutes. And, and for some of us, our children haven't put their faith in Christ. They don't really understand what this means. And, and I would ask that you, you help them understand as a parent on your own. And they can watch and particip or participate by watching and not partaking. But for, for many, your children have. They've come to know Christ as Savior. They know Jesus. And they know that in, in a better faith and a more simple faith than we could ever have, right? They understand that they were sinners and Jesus died for them and they love him. This is a special time for them. It's, it's not works at all. It's just remembering. We remember. What was the command in Malachi? Remember. Remember what Moses said. What, what Moses said. Remember what God has done. And, and as we remember, we, we live and we act and we walk in by faith. So uh, here's how we do this. Th these are double cupped up here. There's a, a cup with a cracker in it, a cup with juice in it. And we'd ask that you'd come in on the inside aisle and you'd grab and partake and you'd head out the outside aisle. There'll also be the, the worship team just playing instrumentally. The, and we just want to have this be a time of, and a discipline of silence, a time of reflection. And if you're speaking at all or talking at all, it would be to your children or to your spouse because it's so meaningful and you want to have that time. It's not a reunion, right? It's a reunion between you and Jesus right now. So it would be a reflection of that attitude as well, and that we'd be getting our hearts prepared for this moment. And, and, and we would come down and grab the elements, and we'd head back to our seats, and, and just we'll start singing a song together. Hold on to the elements as you have them. And, and after that song is over, I'll come back up and, and, and instruct us in the Lord's Supper, and I'll come back up and, and give us some, um, some instruction there. I'll pray, and we'll partake together. And then we'll finish out in two more worship songs, okay? Would you stand with me as we, as we pray? Father, we thank you so much that you are God, that you are, are the one who has made a way for us to be in right relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. It's not through our own religion. It's not through our own works. It's not through our own idea of even what right religion is. God, we forsake all of that. We lay it down because we want to gain you. We want to have you. We want to be found in you, not with a righteousness that comes from us or our works, but a righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. So today as we partake, may we, may we consider and, and reflect on the, on the blood and the body, the, the sacrifice that you made for us. In our place, you took our curse upon yourself so you could be a blessing to us and give us righteousness through faith. We thank you for that. We trust you. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.